0: Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Mr. Speaker Speaks. You know, it's the podcast that informs, the podcast that challenges and inspires. It's real talk from real people about real things and truly it is the show where the guests themselves get to speak even though it's called mr speaker speaks the guests get to speak you can learn more about me on the web at vincenttedwards.com and you can join my online community at vincentondemand.com where you can receive exclusive access to trainings and videos and more that's where i help you to pivot into your purpose with power and precision because we know that life is all about purpose. I have a great guest today, the one, the only, Dana Brooks of the world-renowned law firm Aphasic Brooks. And she laughs as I say that. And we're going to have a great time today because we are going to talk about her book, Functional Feminism. Functional Feminism. We're going to talk about that on today. So I'm looking forward to having this discussion because I was blessed Um, to have her at the church and she came in and talked about her book to the, the ladies of the church and it was very enlightening very informative and she accepted my invitation to be a guest on today's show i just want to give a shout out to a couple of my sponsors Serious Web Solutions on the web at seriouswebsolutions.com, 850-597-1707. And for all of the males that are listening, if you need a haircut, please stop by Blades Barbershop on Lake Bradford and see my man Dante because he will have you looking right. At all times. And if you need any motivation throughout the week, please join my motivation community by texting the word INSPIRE to 850 290 0066 and you will receive motivational texts. Like always here on Mr. Speaker Speaks, we consult the Lord before we go because we want his presence to be here to guide this great discussion because functional feminism is an eye opener. Heavenly Father, we come to you today thanking you for who you are, and now we ask for your presence to be here in the studio as we discuss my guest book. But not only that, God, give us insight and learn things that we can share with others and help others um, to become the best that they can be. And now I ask that your hand be upon Miss Brooks and all that she does, Lord, open up doors that no man can close because of her plight to help women god they continue to help those who are injured god let your hand of protection be around them give them more wisdom and more insight to always do the right thing and we will forever give you all the praise and all the glory because it's due to you in jesus name amen because we are talking to a very wise woman Uh, a woman who has excelled in all that she has done. The inspirational scripture today comes from the book of Proverbs that deals with the wise woman. Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 and 30. Who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. And verse 30, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain but a woman that feareth the lord she shall be praised and talk about praises and accolades my guest today Dana Brooks became an attorney um, you know before she became an attorney she was a paralegal law firm, administrator, mental health counselor, Florida Supreme Court certified family law mediator. She attended Pensacola Junior College and Tallahassee Community College before graduating Florida State University Cum Laude with a Bachelor of Science in Social Work. She later earned her Master's of Social Work from Florida State in 2003. She earned her law degree from Florida State Magna Cum Laude in December 2007 and is a member of the Order of Quoth Signifying the top 10% of law school graduates. That just means my guest is great at what she does. She's educated and well informed. I like to end with this because she has so many awards and recognitions. She's a, a member of the Florida Bar. She loves giving back to the community. She currently serves on the board of 211 Big Ben. But I just want to say this helping people thrive in spite of their challenges has given Dana a unique perspective when advocating for her injured clients. Her experience in social work strengthened her desire to help at risk persons and those most in need of effective legal of an effective legal advocate. With that being said, Dana, welcome to Mr Speaker Speaks.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a joy to be here today.
0: Um it's truly a pleasure. But I'm gonna start this off like this.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Coke or Pepsi? Coke. Uh, oh. <laughs> All right. Vanilla or chocolate?
1: Vanilla. Vanilla.
0: Huh. Why law above everything else? It was just a very clear
1: path that you know presented itself to me. I started working in a law firm when I was in high school. I did the books at a law firm. Back then, you did you know, handwrite ledger books. And so I kept the firm's books and then I also did a lot of closings. Um, and I was a lot of law paralegal, um, learned a lot about it. And I would always ask people to tell me how to do things. And I learned how to do legal research. And then I became a paralegal and did that for a number of years. Um, so law was kind of always a path. Even when I got into clinical social work, I was still a family law mediator. I was just trying to use all that knowledge I had acquired. And then at some point, I just decided to go to law school. said the heck with it, let's do this and that's what I did.
0: Hmm. And, and law school, uh, based upon what I remember from your presentation, you were, you were at 40 when you went to law school.
1: No, I, I graduated from law school three days before I turned 40.
0: <laughs> three days before you turned 40. Yeah. okay. So wow. So it was always in your path. What was the biggest challenge that you faced? as you pursued law?
1: Um, my particular family situation, you know, I was married uh, to a, a lawyer who had a very uh, active practice that required a lot of him and a lot of support for me. I was paralegal. Um, so that was a lot of change for our family, for me to be able to give the time and attention uh, to law school, which is a very rig- rigorous. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's not like getting a PhD. It's, it's, you know, pretty aggressive course of study. Um, and it's, you have to be done in a certain time. And I had children, uh, I was still working. I had a house and everything to maintain, everything everybody else does when they're that age. So finding time to even study for the bar was really challenging. And then finding the time to keep up with my reading while I was in law school. But you just make it, women do this. <laughs> you just make it happen. Like if we're in the car and I'm, we're going to the mall to see a movie, I'm reading. You know, if I'm getting a pedicure, I'm reading. Um, if I'm sitting in a doctor's office, I'm reading. So I don't have any downtime. I'm making use of all my time. So you just learn to to do those sorts of things. So honestly, uh, being a lawyer was easy compared to what I had to do to get to law school.
0: So what prompted you to write the book, Functional Feminism?
1: Oh, I was mad. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah,
0: chapter eight was something there.
1: (laughs) I got mad. No, I had a lot to say, and I was, um, well, it was kind of the time. You know, it seemed like people were uh, of a mind now to maybe hear from women about things after the Me Too movement, and I didn't want that to get turned into something uh, cutesy and mimi and and not serious, and what made me so mad and what prompted it a lot of it was the Kavanaugh hearings. I was just furious at the way uh, Dr. Ford was treated in that. I'm like, there's no way this woman is getting gain from this. She's doing this out of principle. So all the, why is she just doing it now? It must be for money and book deals and lawsuits and all this. I'm like, please. And the outrage and the utter just defense, you know, you know go to the mattresses to defend a man you don't know for a conduct you know happened. That's what made me so mad. You can tell my voice is raising right now. Everybody knows this happens to women. It happens to them all of the time. And if they made a big deal over every single time, a man did something inappropriate to them. They would have little time to do anything else. Uh, and so it's kind of a part of life and you got to pick your battles, but it's, it's an unfair burden. Women still have to bear and will. You know, do I, do I stand up for myself or do I wreck my career and label myself? And it's just so frustrating to see such a lack of support when somebody does have the. Bravery to come out and do something and call attention to shine some light on something that we all, every one of us, know. So the 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 uh, selective outrage I found offensive.
0: <laughs> the selective outrage yes, oh, sounds like a stand-up. There. <laughs> um, here's the thing. I, I want to begin with this because we're going to talk about this book, and I want to get an understanding of the title and why. But I want to lead in with this. And I want to hear your thoughts on this from a man by the name of James Brown, the late James Brown. And he wrote a song and he said this, this is a man's world, this is a man's world, but it wouldn't be nothing, nothing without a woman or a girl. What does that say to you in relationship to the book that you wrote?
1: It sounds like he's a wise man, but I bet he didn't start out like that. I bet that was something he came to understand after um, going through life with it going pretty well for him compared to women and seeing women in a role of, you know, you know, serving him maybe in the home, maybe taking care of him professionally, maybe on the road, you know what happens. Um, I think that men have to live a little bit longer before they really appreciate that they have in the past before they appreciate um, women and really, truly value Women, and then now with that that's getting better, we need to value all women because we still all, all women don't matter. <laughs> there are still women who are considered throwaway women, throwaway girls, disappear for your pleasure. Um, people who are targeted because they have um, uh, bad home lives, because they that's why I always counsel girls: don't ever lead with the things that are weak about you. Don't ever show somebody that. You, don't ever tell anybody you got a problem with your dad. That your dad. Will. Don't ever say anything like that because you mark yourself to a predator. Um, We still have a lot of that going on, and I just, I can't, I can't abide that. And so I wanted to write a book about functional feminism to change the way men hopefully think about women, get as evolved as James Brown was in his songwriting, um, and then also um, help women not be their own worst enemies. Just keep, you know, get out of your own way and stop getting in your sister's way and stop letting pettiness uh, keep us all down because uh, we're, we, we do small things and are looked at as small people. Uh, in terms of gender, whenever we engage in those things. You know, and we th- talked about that at, the, at, at your church. So,
0: How do you define feminism? Because somehow that word can have a negative connotation to it.
1: That's the whole reason I wrote that book. Um, we're in the fourth wave of feminism now, and it has gotten such a bad rap. You know, it started out great with the suffragettes. Then you got into the dicing it up well, that's white women feminism. What about black women feminism? What about gay women feminism? Uh, You know, it was a lot of that dicing up. And then it was all about well i don't want to be labeled a feminist because they're they took all the fun out of everything and ruin everything they're suing all the people it's awful and this fourth wave of feminism we're in now is uh the one where hopefully it's more inclusive it's it's bringing on anybody who just doesn't look like the mainstream people getting all the breaks (laughs) it's a little bit more inclusive but just uniquely from the perspective of living as a woman but also you know maybe a trans woman you know, by a woman or any kind of woman that I don't have any idea what their life is like, but it's saying, you know, feminism means equal opportunity for everybody, regardless of gender. Uh, so it shouldn't matter if you're trans, it shouldn't matter if you're, um, you know, straight, gay, whatever, your gender shouldn't be a barrier to you getting the same opportunities as somebody else. I just strongly, strongly believe that.
0: So from what I'm hearing with your, with your definition, it's about equality. Is it's about what equality, you're saying? but
1: the functional part comes in from what we did in the past didn't work, and it's dysfunctional. Let's put a new spin on it and try to make this functional. So men are not threatened by it, and so everybody can embrace it.
0: Hmm. Excellent, because that was my next question, because you're calling this functional feminism. I mean you know, this whole concept of dysfunctional feminism, what is that? But you're saying that's how we did things in the past. Mm -hmm. And so have you seen much progress from dysfunctional to what you call functional feminism?
1: I have, and I'm happy with it. But um, you start talking about feminism to women, they'll say it's not enough. It's not fast enough. It's, um, you know, all these things. But I just I'm not going to get mired in that. I've got to move forward. Um, never, you know, there's always going to be something wrong and you don't always get everything that you want, but that's not an excuse to take your ball and go home. Let's start, let's just keep working together and find the things we can work on and get there. But I think more and more people understand that equality isn't threatening, you know, that what's that saying, you know, um, uh, me getting all my rights doesn't mean there's fewer rights for you. It's not pie. You know, you can have all your rights and I can have all, all mine too. And neither one of us should be threatened by that. Um, but you know, I do, I, I do hear things like my law partners. I got a lot of women law partners. Uh, One of them has got two teenage sons and whenever Carrie Rome, this is my law partner, she and I were doing a podcast, the empower plant and we bring on women guests. A lot of whom you've had on your podcast. I see Um, he, he just finally asked me one day, he goes, why are you doing this? Why do women need to be empowered? Don't you, you're, you have everything i mean what's what, what do you lack you know and he, he was not being facetious he was really coming from a point of i don't understand what you're still fighting about type of a thing because in his experience you know he's had a lawyer mom and a lawyer dad and you know his experience has been such that he wouldn't even understand this but that's the kind of person who's enjoyed privilege the privilege of ignorance so it's important that he understands not everybody has had this experience hmm.
0: Interesting. When we look at feminism, can you have feminism and still be feminine? And how does that play in with the whole concept of empowerment?
1: My, my view of feminism is whatever the heck you wanna be. It's about choice. It, it is an empowering feminism. When I was a, a therapist, I was always, I, I used empowerment theory. Um, you know, if this is what you want to do, do it. If you want to be feminine, be feminine. In my book, as you recall, you know, I, I I mentored some, some lots of young women and girls, and I had one, I was very close to, spent a lot of time with her. Her parents were very concerned about her spending time with me, because they see me, they heard me, they've read stuff or whatever, they were afraid I would basically indoctrinate her. She's very, um, uh, they were just born and raised in a Christian family in a Christian home. Very um Biblical home with you know g- uh, rigid gender roles because that's what they chose and that works for their family. Their family is fine. they raised a fine young woman who's going you're going to know her you're going to see her do great things but but I explained to her I said i'm not going to tell you how to live your life that's not what a mentor does that's not what a guide does you know i'm coming to I will talk to you about the things that are important to you. I can give you my experience and my perspective, but I wouldn't want you to do everything I told you to do or everything i've done no matter what. So that's just not what it's about. So, so many objections to feminism and uh, that sort of thing are are just born of fear, ignorance, just not understanding that this is a good thing. This is about empowerment to make choices because that young woman will choose, you know, when she uh, chooses her partner and her husband, she will get married. (laughs) She will have children. She will live a biblical life in a biblical role. Oddly enough, I always had very Traditional gender roles in my life. thats comforting to me. I don't want to be dominant in my home. I'm dominant in my daily life. I like the idea of having a protector. It's important to me. Um, but I'm very feminine. I, I consider myself very feminine. I, I like being a girl. I love
0: it. <laughs> Excellent. This this is this is great because. I read some things, and I want to really bring up a few things, a couple things from each of the chapters, but I want to deal with this visibility is a term. You know, visibility brings credibility, mm-hmm. and because of the great work that you do in law, um, you're on television um, with your commercials, um, with your with your show, come back stronger on billboards, so people see you and they know who you are. With that type of recognition, what role do you think your visibility plays in this whole um, plight to help women understand functional feminism?
1: Um, I I feel like I have to lead by example. I, like you said, I'm a very public person and I chose that. I put myself out there um, to, to mentor, to speak to groups, to be on boards. Um, you know i, I testified to the legislature um, tried to inform policy my side hadn't had much luck with that lately but um uh yeah, I take that role very seriously and it's it's a lot to behold i get i don 't ever feel different i 'm still Dana doing what Dana does, but every now and then someone will approach me and they'll mention running into me somewhere and me saying something to them that changed their lives. And when you hear that kind of thing enough, and I have, uh, you take it real seriously. You realize uh, people are watching. And uh, there are a lot of people who look like they're very accomplished women. They've got the degrees and the income and that sort of thing, but they're scared to take the risk. They're too scared to try to take a shot at the life that they want. And I've had so many of them come say, I looked at you and I saw, you know, well, she's been through this and she seems to be okay. And she's, you know, prioritizes her, you know, female friendships but she doesn't hate men and they think well you know what maybe i can have a life without being a plunk. you know p- people are so quick to label themselves oh i'm a divorcee or i'm a single mom or i'm a this and and my life is set you know i i don't i don't i try to get people to not buy into that uh, but yeah i take my responsibility very seriously and i feel very fortunate to have the platform that i do
0: you stated you wrote this book because you were a little angry a little upset
1: oh at first I at fir- if you read it you saw i did mellow out
0: <laughs> yeah I, I i started with chapter eight as you recommend <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: because i, I tell her what tell them what you're talking about chapter eight it's just for you guys
0: yeah, yeah. chapter eight is a, a note to men because you know it's it's a lot of things and i, I really want to get into that because you know you talked about what is a man? But I highlighted, you know, one of the quotes, page one twenty-seven. What I do believe is that we are not inherently weak, and you are not saviors, providers, or protectors. Mm-hmm. You're just people, peers, and potential partners. I was like, <laughs> ooh. So I really want to but, get. What
1: I say by that, you know, I mean there's so many women are just waiting and just waiting and just waiting for the guy to come in and make everything in the life better. Um, i don't think that's a great idea i think that's a lot of responsibility to put on a man your entire happiness i mean don't you think this desires matter He probably is looking for some support from you to maybe get to his next level too so it's more of a um, maybe consider men in a different light maybe consider them as the partners who need support that you want you know
0: okay Yeah, that, so now that explanation puts that passage in more context because when I read it, I was like, wow, because you know, I'm a pastor. So I jumped over to first Peter three and seven and started analyzing (laughs) this thing. And I was like, okay, what, you know, and then to, to hear you lead off and you actually said about, you know, being feminine and you wanted Mm -hmm. protection. So I was like, okay, I really need to get an, that's my choice. Yeah, your choice. And so I wanted to get an understanding of that particular, um, Mm -hmm. passage there because I, you know, I started in. Chapter eight.
1: Yeah, I know so many women, especially the young women. You know, they got their degree, they bought their homes. You know, they're they're financially steady, and they're just waiting. They're just waiting. They're just waiting, and they don't start their lives because they're like, "Why don't we be busy when I meet the guy?" And then I start my. I'm like. When you're living your best life and you're just joy is coming out of you and you're happy, that's when people are going to be drawn to you and you're going to have actually more options. But, if, you know, no one's going to beat your house down while you're getting takeout and watching Netflix. They're just not going to come to the door and beat it down They're not. You're going to have to put it into it.
0: Yeah. And so I, I really understand that because now that ties in with the whole concept of, of mutual submission. And then one of the phrases, because I hear a lot of women always say that, you know, I want to get married. And mm-hmm. I really ask them, do you just want to get married and or do you understand what it means to be a wife? Because there's two separate things going on. And I often share with them that, you know, the world's bestseller worst bestselling book says he that finds a wife findeth a good thing now mm-hmm. there's no problem with waiting but are you in the place to be found and it links into what you mm-hmm. were saying being out there in the community yep. being involved in doing things so you have that exposure so you can say ah that's the one
1: yeah and and go where people might have something in common with you or the things that you like you know don't cast a wide net go where the fish are go to the fishing hole You know, if you like, you know, if you're into certain types of music or, you know, some kind of, you know, unique or alternative scene, go be there or go meet some people. I still think it's best to meet people in person through other people or work or activities because it gets you out of your house and it's a real interaction. But I can't talk anybody into doing
0: that. (laughs) They like the
1: app and they like the apps. Yeah.
0: And so for those of you listening, my guest today is Dana Brooks, a trial lawyer and author. And we're talking about her book, Functional Feminism. And we're about to dig a little deeper into that right now um, because I just have a few questions. And you need to get the book. And while I'm bringing up my questions, Dana, can you tell them where they can get a copy of your book?
1: Yeah, I will just give you one. I'll mail it to you. This is part of what I do when I give speaking engagements and everything. And that's why I write provocative comments like that, Pastor. So I get these gigs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so you get these gigs. And I, I'm going to help just, you. But... Just
1: tell them to come to my office. Just uh, email me, Dana, D-A-N-A, at facigbrooks.com, F-A-S-I-G, Brooks.com. And uh, Denise in my office will mail you one. Just give me your address and who you want me to sign it for, if you don't mind.
0: OK, so that was easy. So let's go through this. Chapter one, use everything you got. I mean, to me, that sounds like an oxymoron when I came across the passage that said you shouldn't leverage everything you of know. value. So <laughs> you're telling me that you're saying use everything you got, but then you right. come back and say, don't leverage everything yeah. of value. Give me some insight to that. Yeah, that
1: means. Um, well, did you remember the part I wrote about being a trial lawyer? okay when I was in uh, law school we had a trial practice class and and uh, this man who taught the class and he used me as an example he goes you are a very tall woman and you have big long blonde hair you get a lot of attention he said you know you could use that in a way in the trial women that could be distracting but that doesn't mean go in there with see-through low hang you know low cut that, that's not what he's talking about He's saying use everything you have to get the attention off that defense expert who's trying to kill you in your case and make them listen to you. So they just want to hear what that nice lady has to say or that strong lady or whatever the persona is that I'm trying to make. He's basically saying walk into your power. You have more of it than you think. Don't go in there dressed in a navy blue suit with a white, you know, blouse, pantyhose, navy pumps, looking like you're impersonating a man. You know, go in there like you own the place because it'll be so disruptive. There's a lot of power in disrupting. But it will be so disrupting, it will be distracting. So that's an example of the physical part of use everything you've got. But the other part is when I mentor and, and uh, coach people, they'll tell me, well, I just don't have the connections you do. You know, I don't have the, I moved to this town. I didn't know a soul. Okay. I didn't know a, a person in this town, uh, but, I, in a, in a, but a law firm I had worked at for six months in Montgomery that's how long I knew that man I impressed him with my work and he found me I had a job in a week he made one phone call I had a job a work I had no idea I had that level of connection and when I learned later who he made that phone call that's a major person in this town and it was just about I didn't I didn't know I was 21 years old I had no idea I could get somebody to do something like that for me but he asked and I told him he goes what you doing I said I have to leave my husband got transferred where are you moving Tallahassee well I know this person let me give him a call I was like, "What?" So you've got a lot more to leverage than you think you've got a lot of contacts. You need to develop them and keep them up, you know. Even if it's just a text, keep your your contacts up to date, and then every now and then just shoot somebody a text so you're top of their mind for uh, whenever you – you know, they need something from you just from a business perspective. I got to hit them all the time. I'm up against a major competitor. Who's got an endless budget. Who's in somebody's ear all the time. I'm sitting in my own house. listening to my competitors commercial on the TV. It's, it's maddening. I can't compete with that person, but I do have a lot of other things. I make personal connections with people. I make eye contact with people. When I do that. I say, give me your name. What's your name? Let me put you in my contacts. I follow up with them. Hey, did you get that surgery? You told me you were getting ready to have that thing. Did that work out for you? You know, you just actually just put a little bit of effort into something like that. Everything you want is not going to come to you uh, in your computer and in your hand. You do have to get out and network. Use everything you have. Use the computer, sure. Get way on top of tech, 100%, but don't lose personal contact with people.
0: And I want to bridge the gap because I I, I want people to, to really read this book. So I just want to highlight a few things. But you bridge the gap to there when you talk about, you know, um, your contacts. In chapter two, when you dealt with survival of the fittest, you talked about find the ends. And the question mm-hmm. that came to mind, is this all about building relationships or just using people to your advantage?
1: Well, I mean, honestly, everything you're doing is to an advantage, even if it's just to make friends. Uh, you know, it's that's not a bad thing that you want to get something positive out of an exchange. You know, a lot of people are altruistic and charitable because it makes them feel good. <laughs> it releases endorphins and they feel wonderful helping somebody. That's not a bad thing. But um, <laughs> do you under, do you accept that? I don't know if you accept that, but that's-
0: <laughs> I, I I mean <laughs> I I understand it and I accept it because uh-huh. what I'm what I'm hearing is you know. It's always, it should be a win-win. I mean, you don't just waste time to do things, but you- wins yeah the, the yeah. wins you're you're doing it you're genuine about it mm-hmm. um one of the things i i like because I, I really love meeting people and talking to people and I'm finding out about them and i'll do anything to help you if i feel that you're doing something of value and i expect nothing in return but mm-hmm. things always come back to me and not they necessarily do. by that particular person it goes yes. back to give and it shall be given yeah. to yeah. you so it's all about you know He who wants to have friends must first show himself friendly.
1: And who wants to be loved needs to be lovable.
0: You know, you need to be
1: able to be loved. Somebody needs to find you. Somebody needs to be able to reach you. You need to be in a, a, um, give some energy to receive love.
0: Hmm. And you mentioned this, that you've been married multiple times. And then your chapter, always a bride, never a bridesmaid. Do you think feminism played a role in your marriages? And then you said marriage is not the only option.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I I laugh about it. I have to, because this is never how old one is. It's it's, it's the cheek in my arm. It's the one thing I can't stand. That's why I I make fun of it. I hate that because it suggests that I don't take marriage seriously and that I didn't leave everything on the field. (laughs) Um, No, um, no, I don't think there's anything wrong with marriage. And I don't I didn't take mine lightly. Um, mine were just kind of unique, and I and you can tell it's a there's a chapter on them. But I was very careful to try to respect the fact that they uh, one time wanted to spend their life with me, and I wanted to spend my life with them. So I don't give a lot of dirty laundry in those. Um, I just kind of share what where my head was at the time. Um, but you know, just you know, if you look at my first husband, I got married when I was 22 to somebody who's 43. And a lot of people think, well, that's probably because, you know, you're, you know, if your parents got divorced, your dad went around and you were looking for a father figure. It it really wasn't that for me. It was just I was looking for a grown up. (laughs) I was not interested in somebody uh, ruining my life and ruining my credit, my time and having to restore after all that. I saw what my mother went through. So I was really looking for somebody, you know, grown up and responsible. But that's too great of an age difference, I believe, especially when you're that young. Um, and then my uh, second husband, I married twice. That was just a very, one of those those energy relationships. Um, but I grew so much in that marriage. I think that uh, that's the one where I said, I think uh, women marry and divorce the same man pretty much, but men marry and divorce two very different women. Women change a lot. And a lot of men just can't roll with that or the woman just moves in. It's not outgrowing them. That's a very condescending term. It's just a different sort of evolution. They have different priorities. And as they raise their kids and their lives change, uh, they just you know want different things. And so that's kind of how that went. And then uh, my last marriage was, um, it was literally, uh, it should have been a relationship and stayed a relationship. It didn't, it wasn't, a, it didn't need to turn into a marriage. You know, some things just need to be a relationship it run its course. And then that goes. So um, but no, I take marriage very seriously. I laugh about it because I have to, uh, but I've been divorced about, uh, about four and a half, five years. I, and I did my work, as I say, you know, just drill down on why, why have I done these things? What's the lesson? And, um, how do I make sure I don't do this again?
0: <laughs> and that was my next question in all of this. What was the one thing that you learned that you can share that you think would be beneficial to women?
1: Uh, Through my work that I did on Learning Mind. um,
0: Throughout the divorces and the relationships.
1: Well, I I still struggle with this today. I mean, I still struggle with not feeling like a whole person if I'm not married. I just, it's, it's as much as a feminist as I am, as much as I'm, you know, I'm not really traditional in a lot of ways. I'm not a conservative person in, you know, so many ways, but I just... I feel like i I feel like the girls I was telling you. I feel like I'm just waiting, <laughs> just like find something to do while you're just waiting. And I gotta, I gotta get past that. That's not healthy, you know. I, I that can't be. It's not my identity anymore. But for many years, I was. I, I see. I love being married. This is another thing that's different about me. I, I'm not one of these people who's married and, and stays married. And you go, hey, I'm thinking about getting married. and They go, oh, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't. I wasn't that way. I love being married. It's just uh, certain things happen that made those unable to continue uh but i didn't i didn't dislike the whole scene and the whole institution and everything i liked that partnership i'm I'm an only child that's probably a lot of it i don't being alone you know i had enough of that but i've done it the last you know four or five years i know it won't kill me so um i'm just i'm just learning that's the biggest lesson i've learned is you don't tie your identity to your relationships you need to find your own identity otherwise you're just going to morph into whatever you think this next guy needs And then you'll do it long enough. You don't know who you are. And then you'll turn around and resent him (laughs) for not appreciating how you have contorted yourself to be this person he needs because he didn't know you were doing that. He thought that's who you were. So you're mad at him for something he didn't know about. There's just so much of that stuff goes on when you don't really know who you are yourself.
0: And that is one of the biggest challenges in life with people finding out who they are and their purpose and being, it's okay to be you because you are, Unique. And I love the quote, to thine own self be true, because at the end of the day, when you look in that mirror, you have to be satisfied with yourself.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, This chapter, I mean, I I just want to touch on one thing that really stuck out for me. Um, Help. It's there if you ask. What keeps people from asking for help?
1: Um, I think with men, it's pride and ego and shame, feeling that you're admitting that you are failing at being a man. Um, I hope we can move past that. I have I have additional thoughts on men, and I'm actually thinking about an essay on, on that altogether. But on women, I think it is um, just, just women are so risk averse. They're so afraid of failing. And I'm telling you, in this world, <laughs> you know, to the victor go the spoils you've got to take some chances out there every every successful man you've ever heard of did some maverick stuff man they did some crazy stuff and i just i want to get women more comfortable with that because women you are working hard they're working so hard but they're to me not getting enough growth for all the work so if they could get some leaps like i talk about leapfrogging yeah i didn't want to cover everything i saw that one (laughs) yeah they just they're and I think it's because we're so um, taught to be caregivers, and caregivers aren't risk takers. They're the exact opposite. They're the ones who make sure those kids don't get run over, and you know, the, the, everybody gets fed, and you know, there's something to wear. You know, they're so. Uh, I think we're so conditioned to be in a role as women that risk taking is uh, is something we have got to really work to get comfortable out. And I wish women would do it.
0: Yeah, because you know what I've learned in my life. And my wife tells me all the time, she says, oh, you'll take a risk in a minute. I say, sure. I mean, you know, failure, uh, what I've learned over my lifetime is that the road to success is littered with failure. But Mm -hmm. what failure is, is just eliminating options. You now know that that option doesn't work, doesn't work. And so you have to be able to get up and keep going. And what, in, in your opinion, and with you being successful and with other women that you've helped, um, become successful, um, what do you think it takes to overcome that fear of risk?
1: Some successes.
0: <laughs> that
1: helps. Um, you know, I, I've, I've had a tremendous amount of luck in my life, but it all came because, yeah, what happened. Now, some of it's stupid when I was younger, but yeah, I'll get in this car and see where these people are going. You know, better. I'm not that stupid anymore, but some of it's just calculated risk. Like what's the worst thing could happen and how likely is that to happen? And what is my safe plan in case things go south? Okay. Then do it, you know. Do it. This
0: one, you just do it. And that's that's the thing. Um, the more you do it, the better you get at it.
1: Well, it's not just do it. the thing about just do it is that I think the reason why men are more successful and better at it, not just because they got their personal. The other thing that they've had is a lot more experience failing because they're forced to take risks because that's the manly thing to do. And so if you get your nose bloodied, a lot of times you realize it's not going to ruin you. It's not the end of your life. So you get thicker skin. You can take on greater risk and challenges because you don't cry about everything. So there is some there's a lot of value into developing thick skin. But go ahead.
0: Oh no, I'm I'm loving this because I'm learning more as I listen to you. When I looked at this motherhood and freedom, and when you look at today's society or some traditional values, that almost appears as an oxymoron um, because you know, I'm a mother, but how can I be free at the same time? And you talked about the single mother and utilizing available resources. Give us some insight of that to how can a single mother have that motherhood and freedom at the same time? She,
1: she could do that by fixing her attitude, okay? Here's, here's here's what I think about motherhood. I don't like this shame thing going on now. Have you seen this trend? A lot of people are shaming people who want to have children, are excited about children. They're saying, oh, this because you're never going to be with this kid. Parenting doesn't end at 18. They're going to be in your house and he's going to be around to help you. And uh, what are you going to do when they bring this person home or whatever? And they just make it seem like it's utter drudgery and awful because it has been for a lot of people. It's not always sunshine and monogrammed outfits, you know, parenting. So I I wish people would stop doing that, but I understand where they're coming from. Just understand when someone's at that point in their lives, that's the most joyful time of a woman's life most of the time. So don't ruin it. But a lot of women are foregoing that and minimizing it in a way to make themselves feel good, thinking that it's a choice not available to them. So since I can't do it, i'm going to shun it and make it act like it's not great. That's not nice. and you can do it. If you really want to do it, you can do it. you've got but you've got to be smart about it. You've got to understand this costs a certain amount of money. Uh, you got to realize that you've got some people who can help you. It can be um, like I, I tell people to women to network, you know, if you're a working mom, find a mom who can stay at home, who cooks well. And she'll be like, you know, I got your dinner for you. If you can pick up my kids, whatever, sub it out, get people who can drive your kids. You know, you can be creative and create and solve a lot of problems, but you got to get over your pride and feel like you're a bad mom. Cause you need some help and you need to be able to trust some, a group of women to have your back. And that's why, I mean, I just, I can't, some of the things I see on TikTok and some of the things I see on these reels of women doing to each other still today, I'm like, really, really, please stop. That's your sister, you know, that's your sister. Be nice to her.
0: Which leads to this balancing the scales and what I really, and this is where I really see you, Um, you know, find a mentor, be a mentor. Um, And that's what you do. You go out of your way to help women based upon what I heard you say um, at at the church and how you refer business and how you do things. Talk to us about your plight to help women and and what do you want the outcome of your work in that area to produce?
1: I would like uh, my work doing this one thing to uh, change people's just general knee-jerk attitudes about women. And what I ask people to do is uh, two things never be a mean girl. Don't ever put down a woman just because what she wears, or her hair, or weight, or something like that. you know, if you got something bad to say, restrict it to her behavior, her argument, something. But don't ever make a personal attack and don't name call. It's beneath you. It's low-level discourse. The second thing I ask you to do is always refer to a woman when you can. And I know the pushback on that is, hey, uh, I would love to give work to a woman, but this is important to me. I want the best person for this job, so I'm going to hire, you know, this guy who's been doing it forever, and he took over daddy's company. That's all fine and good. I like it. But I bet that guy's got plenty of business and I bet you could reach out to him and see if he could mentor you or apprentice you for it. Or if you've already got the skills, you just need to get the business, you know, host a party and, and turn some people on to this female or this, you know, whatever it is that uh, this woman's doing or trying to start a bill. this female lawyer. I do that with female lawyers all the time. I say, try to find a female lawyer just in this case to first, you know, and, 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 if, and if she's not the best one for it, see if there's somebody who can mentor her or work with her or see if you can, you know, work closer with her you know, on this. And so she can learn because otherwise we're never going to get better because there's very few shots like I had that just this, this see, the, you know, the heavens parted and a path was made. And all I had to do was not mess up. That doesn't happen to women all the time. You got to usually, you know, create your end. And, and I, I just want people to do that.
0: So what do you think really holds women back from helping one another?
1: Um, helping one another is seeing uh, your your sister as your competition rather than probably one of your greatest assets.
0: Mm. And well, that's the- Competition for that
1: man, because that's apparently the holy grail. We, I get that ring. It's great. Please understand that if there's anything you don't like about that man, it's not going to improve after you make a commitment <laughs> to spend the rest of your life with him. So he's not going to get, you know, stop waiting for it. If he's not the one, he's not the one. And if he is the one, it's not going to be that hard. <laughs> You're not gonna have to force him to marry you. Um so if you're doing that, if you're waiting around, if you're looking at every woman in his orbit as a potential competition or whatever, stop living your life that way. You put yourself in that prison. So just walk, turn around and walk right out.
0: Yeah. And we started with this chapter, a note to men, and you gave me an explanation of the comment that I really wanted to drill down into. In all of your experience with men professionally and in personal relationships what is a real man to you dana
1: Ooh, a real man to me is one who is trying to develop empathy and trying to understand that he doesn't know everything and that um, there could be another perspective at that this point in my life that to me is a real man a real man to me has always been one who takes responsibility and has accountability um, but I don't think a real man is someone who has to act in a certain way. Um, uh, you have never, you know, show any kind of emotion, be very stoic, be unavailable emotionally. I just, I don't think a lot of the things that men hear about being a real man have been particularly helpful. And I don't think they've held up over time. I don't think that kind of thing is working today because you do hear so much about these independent women. Who just are not interested in them. Once they start making their own money, they're like, I'm not even interested in that. Um, so I, I don't like that. I don't like that for either gender. But I think um, I think a, a real man is one who wants to learn. And this is my other thing about men. I'm asking this for men. I ask women to do this. And watch your 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 other men. Don't abide their bad behavior. Do you know who tells us, you, you know who's the one who always warns us about bad things happening to us? Other men. Because you know how bad you are. You always tell us don't go there. Don't wear that. You know why you're telling Because you know what you're capable of doing. So instead of telling us to correct ourselves, why don't you co- go around and say, don't talk to her like that. Don't put your hands on her. Intervene. be That's a real man. A real man says, I'm going to help other boys and men become real men.
0: And that is a great way to end this segment because it's all about that. The world's best-selling book talks about the aged women helping the younger women and that men mm-hmm. ought to help men. And that's where we're lacking. And that's why I truly am pushing to build and to grow our men's ministry at the church, because it's all about men and how they treat individuals and women understanding that this is one thing i teach don't settle you don't have to settle have your standards Now, i'm not saying have uh, ridiculous standards that only jesus can meet you know but be realistic and, and don't settle for anything you'll be you settled for the rest
1: of your life so if you want that to be your life sentence
0: they think twice before you go down that path. Dana, this has truly been a pleasure and eye opening to be able to converse with you. I have one final question. Okay. At the end of the day, you know, all that you've done, all that you continue to do, all that you see in your future and all the interactions that you've had, what matters most to Dana Brooks? I want to, um, I want to,
1: I don't know. I think I just want the place to be a little more civil. You know, I want us to be a little bit kinder to people. If I could touch somebody that makes them be a little bit nicer and, and less quick to judge somebody else or jump on them thinking you know something about them. If I could teach a little more empathy um, instead of reaction if I can model that, hopefully, um, that'd be a big win for me. I'd like the world to be uh, kinder to each other. Um, you know, soft has gotten a bad rap lately, you know, but we could be a little bit softer. The world's hard enough. Um, we could be softer to each other, I think.
0: Oh, love it. And I'm going to give you the last word, whatever it is that you want to say, because this is the show where the guests get to speak. You have the floor. What is it that you'd like to say?
1: I just want people to try to have some perspective, you know, especially if you have a, a, a visceral reaction to something. Somebody says something and you just recoil, stop for a minute and decide how mad you want to be, you think you want to be, to understand what you think you know about that. Um, I find this this is the frustrating thing with me is so many times people decide how they want to feel. Then they look around for the evidence to support it. And then they just marry it and they are just they don't want any new information that might change their mind. They don't want to reconsider what they think they know uh, because they're afraid they'll look stupid. They'll look foolish. Uh, I want us to to keep our pride in check. It's it's good to be proud of your accomplishments and uh, be a good person. But pride is often just just the worst thing. It keeps us from really communicating with each other. If we could just talk with an intent to listen instead of instead of an intent to respond, that would get us a long way.
0: Oh, excellent. But, you know, I'm, I, I have to do this because, I, you know, go ahead and give a shameless plug for your your law firm. Talk to us. Oh. Really- <laughs> no, I love
1: law firm. And, I, and I do believe um, that we treat our clients better than I've ever heard of any other clients being treated. If you've been hurt or injured, call us. We will absolutely take care of you. If you can't, we'll explain to you why. We won't just blow you off and tell you. So give us a call anytime you, you're hurt and need 850-777-7777.
0: All right. Well, my friend, it has truly, truly been a pleasure yes. having you on the show, learning about functional feminism. I look forward to... Go ahead, I didn't hear you. I said
1: my take on it anyway.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Your take on it. Oh, most definitely. Well, I look forward to conversing with you much much more for my guest today please check out my guest at functionalfeminism.com also basic brooks personal injury lawyers www.fasicbrooks.com there you'll see one of the world's greatest attorneys dana (laughs) brooks but you've been listening Mr. Speaker Speaks. Remember, visit me at VincentTEdwards.com and join the online community at VincentOnDemand.com so that you can pivot into your purpose with power and precision. You know, life is all about purpose. And the question becomes, are you living yours? In all that you do, be magnificent. And until next time, be good, be blessed, but most of all, be a blessing to someone, take care everybody.